right, well, good morning to you. Thanks. Well, I also am glad to hear that at least most of us had a great Christmas. Um, I know some people over there as we're doing some greeting, and I said, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. They're like, Merry Christmas, let's move on. It's time for New Year's, you know? And, and uh, you know, Christmas might have seemed like the long season for you, and you're ready for what comes next. But there's a part of me, I love Christmas so much, there's a part of me that... Um, feels like Christmas should kind of last all year long. And I don't just mean like eat Christmas cookies all year long or something like that. That'd be a little bit too much. But, but well, it's where we're going today. The wonder of Christmas, you know, and the reality of Christmas and what really, what really happens here beyond, you know, the Christmas lights and all of that. We, uh, we have a theme verse that we've used for this series, this neighborhood series, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and, and using this neighborhood concept uh, really from this verse as well as from Mr. Rogers here. And I want to just take a look at that as we get started. This is be the last of our five-week series here wrapped around Christmas. John 1.14, and this is a paraphrase out of the message, and it says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. There's that neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like Father like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And to me, there's wonder all over that verse right there, isn't it? I mean, just the awe and the aspect of what that is. Well, today we get to talk about the wonder of Christmas. We've talked love, we've talked joy, we've talk, talked peace, what, what happened as Jesus came. And, and for me, this one resonates with me because I'm one who loves wonder and wishes I wondered more. And I don't mean wonder like intellectually, this is the wow wonder that we're talking about. This is when I think about the, uh, the idea of wonder, <clears throat> excuse me, I picture really the jaw-dropping response that we get when we see startling beauty. It's like, like the sunsets that we get that we can see so clearly here from Twin Cities Church, but that you maybe can see that just that wow uh, of a sunset or amazing art. Uh, maybe it's uh, jaw-dropping uh, overseeing amazing actions. You know, you watch somebody do something, you know, you're watching gymnastics and Somebody does like a triple flip with other things thrown in, and you're like, oh, wow, is that even physically possible? Uh, maybe it's, it's the awe over seeing something we've never seen before. You know, wow, a three-legged chicken. <laughs> uh, whatever that it might be, right? Well, with those ideas in mind, I know that no one captures sense of wonder uh, like children. Because kids, we talked about beauty and some other things. Kids see beauty everywhere, even in small things. And they're amazed at the very smallest things. And, and they themselves, they haven't seen a whole lot in their few years. And so it doesn't take a whole lot to push them to new revelation along the way. I also think that kids enjoy life more, living with that simple sense of wonder. It just kind of occurred to me. You think about it, kids at Christmas time, they marvel at the beautiful light displays that are around and the decorations and certainly the gifts on Christmas morning. There's so much there that can bring them to a point of anticipation. I want to check out this video of a kid expressing some wonder. Let's take a quick look. Yeah, 
Costco at Christmas time, right? I mean, it's right there. And, uh, and actually, the video goes on. It's about twice that long. And he come around the corner, and he goes into it again. And I, that's funny. I mean, I just love that. That, oh, we've talked about Mr. Rogers some in this neighborhood uh, series. And in his television series, he loved that sense of wonder in kids. You saw that in the kids themselves. And, and he actually nurtured it in them and also in himself. I think he held on to that sense of wonder as best as he could, even as he grew older. Because the truth is, for most of us, we grow up, we can say that, and even though the beauty is still there for us to see, it's easy to become jaded over time. Nothing, or, or at least very little, is new to us anymore. You know, we live in a world with the internet and stuff where we're exposed to everything, and so there's not so much of that newness. Yeah, I've been there, done that. We've seen just about everything. So, I mean, we just saw that and we laughed, but be honest, when was the last time you looked at something and gasped in wonder, just like that little kid? Because you did that when you were little, just not anymore. John, you may say, I'm way too grown up to do that. You could easily say that, and, and I think it may be true. And I also think that's a little sad. We've, we've displaced the joy and wonder of a child that we all once had, and I wonder what's taken its place. Um, Jesus commented on this in several places, but in Matthew 18, verses 2 and 3, it says that Jesus called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them, the disciples, and he, and he uses him an example, and he, said, he says this, he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like this little child, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and I think some of what Jesus is talking about is some of that innocence and that wonder and that, oh, Oh, kind of thing that's there when you look at God and not just, oh yeah, Christmas, let's take the lights down, what's next? The, the little kid isn't doing that. The kid's still going, oh, and his eyes are big. Well, this morning, I want to see if we can recapture some of the wonder of little children at Christmas time, but, but not wonder at the colorful lights and the beautiful decorations and the yummy foods and all that sort of stuff. Instead, Let's see if we can discover a, a new wonder over the, over the birth of that little baby Jesus. So we're going to be looking, as Ron said, at some verses out of the book of Colossians, out of chapter 1 in Colossians, actually. If you have your Bible, you can open to that. Um, and uh, it, we can look at the screens as well, and some of the verses will be in your program, in your outline. And Now these, I want to tell you, these are rich verses. I'm a little heavier than twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. It's heavier than that. I want to warn you about that. Uh, so you might feel as we read through them a little bit over your head, like, wait, what? And my job's to help you get past the what, and so we can dig into it. Um, and so we'll do that. But uh, what I want to do right off the bat is read this whole set of verses together. And again, if you get a little bit lost along the way, try to kind of keep plugging in. Well, then we'll kind of tear it apart and make it make some sense. Not just intellectually, but hopefully to that <gasps> kind of stuff. Okay, that's where we're at. So Colossians 1, 15 through 22 in your Bible, if you have it, uh, up on the screens. And I'm going to read this for you, this set of verses. Here we go. It says, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Well, I want to use these verses today to see if we can capture a renewed wonder at Christmas. So grab your outline if you haven't already, and there'll be verses printed there. There's a few spaces to fill in to kind of keep your, your pen hand engaged if you want to do that. And, and uh, what we want to do is develop a wonder, and, and it's two parts. And the first part today is we want to develop a wonder at who he is, just simply identity, who Jesus is. And we ask that question, who is this Jesus? And at Christmas time, we say, who was this baby Jesus that we can wonder at? Wonder at? And first of all, we want to say that, uh, and this, these verses say that Jesus, he is God himself, God himself in the form of man. And, uh, and this is a big deal. This is a wow. This is huge. And something I don't want to just kind of blow past and say, yep, next. It says here in these verses in Colossians 1.15, we just read it, but specifically verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We jump to verse 19. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and I want to add one more verse to flesh things out, to add to our study here in John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So did you get all of that? We just grabbed three verses, and all of them had some kind of like, a, hmm, I think I got it uh, in the process. It's a lot, but here are some of the important pieces to the puzzle. Jesus is fully God in the form of man is what we're saying here, is what scripture is saying. And being fully God, just helpful to know Jesus was not created. He existed in the beginning. He was, okay, in the beginning, he was eternally pre-existent. Does that make sense to you? This, this is a tough one to understand, if that makes any sense. Um, my own, and you could call this weird, but my own view of intellectually trying to understand time and all of this is that God created all things, and I believe God created time, and almost as another dimension. God exists outside of time. He sees all things, all people, all places, and all times at the same time. And we say, how could that happen? Because, you know, what I just said, and now I just said this, and now I just said this, it happens linear. But if God could be outside of that and see all of that at the same time, God almost created dimensionally time that he exists outside of so he can see and know and understand. I almost feel like he created time because in our finite minds, we need something to hang on to. It blows us, you know, to even, even try to come up with these ideas. But God exists outside of that. And uh, so that's kind of some of the, and I'm not the only one who would believe something like this, but God existed and exists outside of time. And uh, now some of you are wishing you'd had a little more eggnog before this morning's message. I get that, okay? So, but I just want to let you see here that when we take a look at this, that Jesus was at the very beginning of time. And I believe there was a beginning of time where God created actual time, but he goes on forever into the past, okay? So Jesus was not created. Now, Colossians 1.15 says here that we looked at it, it says, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Well, didn't we just say he wasn't created? Absolutely. He, the, it, it, this isn't talking about Jesus being the first one created, being the first one, firstborn of all creation. It's really talking about his role as the firstborn of a family. It's a, not so much true today, but in those days, being the firstborn of a family was a huge deal. 
this is a reference to this, his supremacy and rank. The fact, again, in those days that the firstborn had huge responsibilities and privileges that weren't shared by any other of the offspring, okay? So firstborn was like, this is the one, that's the inheritance, that's the family, that's the decisions, that's the role, that's the responsibilities that's going on here. And so these verses are really saying that Jesus is Lord of the household, and of course the household is all eternity and all things. Wow. Next, God didn't become a man. And this is important. I want you to understand this. When we say that Jesus, Jesus came to earth and Jesus being born is that he didn't become a man. He came in the form of man. And if you want to take some notes or just if this loses, that's okay too. I'm trying to not make this too intellectual, but I, but I feel like we need to be stretched a little bit so we can go, oh, this is beyond me a little bit. Wow. You know? So, so he didn't become a man. He's in the form of man because there are two different things. In verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. You see, Jesus never stopped being God. He didn't magically turn into a man and stop being God. And, and it's complicated, but it's best said that he was both fully God and fully man at the same time. And no, we can't totally understand that, just like we can't understand God. How could he do that? Well, there's some great verses in Philippians chapter 2 that will help us understand this. Philippians 2, 6 and 7, it says, Though he, speaking of Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we get this picture of Jesus eternally preexistent God. He's in the form of God, and yet he says, I'm also going to take on the form of man, and yet I want to relate to you. And I don't want to just come down and say, boy, isn't life easy because I'm God walking on the earth being God. And so he limited himself. He emptied himself. This word emptied in the Greek is a tough one to translate. And I remember way back in seminary, whenever that was for me, we spent days in a theology class trying to unpack this and figure out what it's saying. And so I can't in a minute really help it make total sense to you, but hopefully I can bring it a step ahead. And so this emptied himself really would mean that Jesus, he laid aside the access and the exercise of his godly attributes. You see, being fully God, he still had all the attributes of God. He can't not have them or he wouldn't be God. And so he, he kind of, he just didn't access them. He laid them aside temporarily. Now, this, this may be a weird picture to you, but this is one that helps me as well. Now, the time went through you, but maybe this will make more sense. Uh, this works for me. Jesus' omniscience, knowing everything... He's still God. He just kind of shoves it in his back pocket. I, I've got it. I'm just not going to access it. Jesus is all power, you know, his omnipotence, his all powerfulness. That goes into a pocket. He just kind of zips it up and goes, it's there. I'm just not going to access it. It's still a part of me. I've got it, but I'm, I'm going I'm to function without it. I'm going to rely on God the Father and the Holy Spirit to speak to me to do miracles through me. It's actually the Holy Spirit who does the miracles, Scripture says. If you didn't realize that, Jesus' miracles on earth weren't because he was God. He put those things aside in his back pockets. He allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to him and do those miracles through him. 
Now, some examples of this is that Jesus laying aside these godly attributes, kind of shelving them, is at one point he says uh, he's on earth and he's talking about the fact that he would come back again in the future, that there would be a second coming for him, which is true in our future as well. Yay! But he says, but only the Father knows when, not even the Son knows. Jesus says, I don't even know. And, and if you say, well, you're fully God, Jesus, how could you not know when you're coming back again? You're God! Ah, it's back here. I ain't peeking. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So it's there, the opportunity and, the, and the, the, um, the attributes are there. There's just not an access. The emptying of himself is, I'm not going to access this, and I'm going I'm to put that aside. Now, Jesus' all-knowingness and all of his all-omnis are tucked into the back pocket and zipped up. Now, this is heavy stuff, I have to say, but, but the big wow and wonder part of this is this. Jesus, he chose to limit himself, to empty himself, because he wanted to relate to us as closely as possible because he loves us that much. He loves us that much. It was a huge sacrifice choosing to not access those huge parts of who he is, who he was. I'm like, he just says, you know what? I love you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do without. I'm going to put that away and choose not to access it every second of every day. And then, you know what? I'm going to choose to be born and to go through that and to be born to a poor family, born into a stable, not quite the birth of a king that he deserves, is it? Right? That's a wow. He loves me and you that much. That's an ooh, ooh, like a kid. God did that for me and he did that for you. Oh, yeah, joy to the world. What song is next? Wow. This is God himself taking on the form of a baby coming. I'm going to empty myself and limit myself because I want to I relate to you. I want to connect to you. I want to I demonstrate my love for you in the best way that I can. Well, as we wonder at who Jesus is, the second thing that these verses tell us that, that he's the head of the capital C church. He's the head of the capital C church, and he's sovereign over all. In Colossians 1.18, again, this is who he is, not so much what he does. He is the head of the body and the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, it says here that Jesus is the head of the church, not just this church. Oh, I pray every second of every day that Jesus remains head of this church, that we don't try to, in some sense, ignore him or move him out. But he's not just head of Twin Cities Church and First Baptist Church and Sierra Presbyterian Church or whatever else, but he's the head of the whole worldwide church, and, 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 and not just here in America, and the head of the church of all time as well. So just the head of all that. And, and, and Jesus... He's, he's not just the head of the church, but he's sovereign over all, is what it says, preeminent over all. Now, now it's true that, that there's a devil in this world, and, and his name is Satan, uh, and he's been given, it's true, he's, he's been given temporary rule of the earth at some level. Um, Satan is called the God, small g, God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Uh, and, and when Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness, he offers to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. How could Satan offer to give Jesus the kingdoms of the world unless they were his? If you think about it, after the fall, way back when man cho mankind chose to sin and we fell into sin, the world was kind of passed over to Satan. And there's some semblance of control. There's some semblance of, of Satan being involved in all of this. But through all of this, Jesus is still sovereign 
over all. And the fact that, that he has been called, uh, like I say, the small g, God of the air, and, 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 and prince of some of these things that are going involved here, it doesn't mean that Jesus has kicked out the back door. The prince of this earth, the prince of the power of the air, Satan is called, can't hold down the king of kings. He can't do that. He is in control. Jesus is in control over all things at all times, and that is something to wonder at. The small g God can't prevail against him. So if you ever start feeling like Satan and the demons are getting you down, it's a small g God trying to do the, God, the business of a big g God. So stand with the big g God and get excited and stand firm, all right? Okay, if we were in a black Baptist church, the place would be rocking right about now. <laughs> Preach your brother, okay? But I just I had to go there for a second because to me this is like, oh, because I sometimes start feeling like the world and Satan and this stuff is just getting me down. And then and Jesus is going, what are you doing? I am, I am Lord over the capital C church, and I am sovereign over all. The, the fact that Satan's exercising some control is only because I'm letting that happen for a little season. That's to test you and to try you and to, to purify and to bring things about, and there will be a day when he's out of the picture. When I'm ready, says Jesus. So let Satan have his little time of playground, and let's stand firm on the capital G God. Oh, wow. Sorry. We can develop a childlike wonder at who Jesus is. It's huge. And yet these verses also talk about the childlike wonder at what he did, who he is and now what he did. What did he do in these verses? First of all, it says that he created everything by him, through him, and for him. He created everything. So not only wasn't Jesus created himself, he existed before creation, before time, but he was the actual creator of all things, Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Through him and for him, by the way. And that's a wow. This, this God who chose to come to earth as a baby because he loves us was the one who actually created the earth. He created us, the very ones that he came to serve. Now, I don't know about you, but if I ever create something that doesn't turn out very well or the way I wanted to, I usually destroy it. I don't know about you. Now, I'm a, I'm a, a musician and a songwriter from way back, and there's, there's some songs that I'm like, oh, God, thank you for giving that to me. That was really good. And there's a whole bunch you'll never hear. <laughs> Into the trash can it goes. Of all the beautiful paintings that you may see of any one person, whether it's our local artists out on the wall or whatever else, there's a whole bunch that are in the trash can, right? You know, a sculptor who just smashes his pot that didn't turn out the way that he wanted it. That's what happens there. You know, if, if, if their creation goes wrong, into the trash heap it goes, but not Jesus. He created mankind perfect. We chose to go sideways with our sin, our rebellion, our pride, our living for ourselves. But instead of destroying us, Jesus then enters into the world as a baby to try to save us. It would have been far easier to just smash and start again. He enters as a baby to try to save us. And we'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But I want to bring it up here and now because it's a wow that the Creator loves us that much. He chooses to love us that much. He doesn't have to, but He chooses to. He makes something perfect, and then we go bad. And He goes, all right, let's see what we can do, rather than let's start over, right? Which is what I do. He's the Creator of all things. 
Secondly, it says here that he sustains everything. He sustains everything. In Colossians 1.17, it says, He is before all things, there's that preexistent, and in him all things hold together. You see, Jesus didn't just create everything and then kind of turn it loose to try to go forward on its own. He actively holds it all together. And that's because, again, he cares about us. He cares about us. Now, science has been trying to discover what holds the universe together forever. And, and it has led to conflicting theories, theories and ideas that include a mysterious cosmic force that they've called dark matter. We don't know what it is, but we'll call it dark matter. There's string theories out there. There's super string theories. There's an M theories, which seeks to unify all the different string theories since they aren't compatible at all. And so we continue as science to grapple with and try to figure out what it is that's holding it all together because it doesn't make sense. Now, all that is great to study, and it's fascinating if you're into that sort of thing, right? But looking at ideas like energy and gravity, microscience and all that, it's an attempt to understand what the Bible says very clearly. Jesus holds it all together. And, and, and that's what's there. He actively sustains all things because he chooses to. Now, we may in science one day discover exactly how it is that Jesus does that. That's not going to threaten me in the least. Science and God do go together. Science is, is man on our terms trying to understand what exactly it is that God does. Wow, DNA, that's God. It's not science. It's science understanding how God chooses to do whatever he does. It's a beautiful thing. And so Jesus holds all things together. He actively sustains all things. And again, the point here is because he loves us just the way we are. And in fact, when Ron gave us that 60 seconds of, of silence there, that felt like about four minutes this morning, Ron, to me anyway. It was beautiful, though. And uh, right when it started, he said some things. And right then, I, he said, what might God want to say to you? And I said, God, you know, what, what do you want to say to me? And instantly was this how much he loves me, me, just me, John, how much I love you. And then I heard just the way you are. And, and I had to wipe away some tears because I don't feel lovable. I just, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, cause I know me and, and he knows me better than I know me. God, how could you love me? But that's what I, that's what I heard just then and there. And I thought, okay, I get to come forward and try to believe that and then try to express that to you. He loves you more than you know. Oh, Wow. I'm actively holding all things together, whether I'm using strings and cosmic forces, whatever that it is. Jesus said, that's me, because I created, and they're created for me, and, and I'm holding it together because I love you. Well, third, as we wonder over what Jesus did and what he does, he brought impossible peace between impure, impure man, that's us, and perfect God. He brought impossible peace between impure man and perfect God. Now, I remember I mentioned this a few minutes ago. Jesus came to bring peace between us and God, and I want to read the verses and then talk about it. Colossians 1.20, it says, And through him, again Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his, uh, excuse me, by the blood of his cross. Mankind, mankind chose to rebel, I mentioned this, to sin, to live for ourselves, and it puts us impossibly far away from God. His perfection and our imperfection separates us by a billion, billion miles. I mean, really, it's just an impossibility. There, there's no possibility for peace. There's no possibility for a close relationship at all. We are just impossibly far apart. 
We messed it up. It was our own doing, not God's plan. And we couldn't solve this problem on our own. So, so Jesus comes to earth. We're talking about this now. As a baby at Christmas time, he lives this perfect life and then willingly gives up his life for us on the cross. He died so that we don't have to. He brought peace. He brought a reconciliation and a new close relationship with God, a healing of our relationship, his perfect life, his sacrifice, his death. It's all, it's all good news for us on the cross. And, and yes, all this is represented in the manger at Christmas time. It's a wow truth to see and to understand, and it flows right into the next wonder moment of Jesus. Jesus died, the verse says, the verses say, he died to turn the hostile, alienated evil, again, that's us, like those descriptive terms for you, <laughs> hostile, alienated evil into holy, acceptable, and blameless people. And Jesus, he brought peace to imperfect people, us. But, but this verse really gives us this better view of our true condition. You see, we aren't just, oh, we're poor and defeated, lonely, helpless little creatures. It's really far worse than that. It's, it's the things that we just said in our outline. But Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And you, and, and go ahead and put your name in here, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil things. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, humankind isn't just lost and helplessly wandering on our own, you know, just kind of, oh, that poor little guy, that poor little girl. It flat out says we're hostile. It says we're alienated and we're evildoers, hopelessly selfish, self-absorbed, hostile to God. Yes, it's that ugly. So Jesus coming to earth in the form of man took these creatures, okay, took us, his now ugly creation, and he not only brought peace, but he transformed us by his life, by his, by his death and his resurrection from the dead. He took evil, us, and he made it holy. Set apart, perfect. He took alienated and he made us blameless. He took hostile and he made us above reproach. He worked a miracle of transformation and all of this began at Christmas time. And this is so big, this wonder so amazing that it kind of makes the stunning Christmas lights displays that we get to see and stuff like that just kind of look like sand. In 11 days, there's a team of 10 of us that are heading over to Africa. Uh, to, to serve with our partners there. It's our 14th trip to minister with, the, with our partnership in Uganda there. This will be my, personally, my 11th time there. Crazy. <laughs> and to be honest, although Africa never gets boring for me, <laughs> how could it? It's not as jaw-dropping as it once was. Um, I used to look with an amazement on women carrying these huge bunches of bananas. I, I, I could, you could barely lift them up. I've been to some that I'm like, oh, Oh my gosh, and they're carrying them on their heads and just kind of balancing them as they walk down the road. And you're like, what? You know? I used to get excited when, when I'd see and I'd marvel over the colorful clothing and the costumes, and I'd get the customs, and I used to get excited when I saw an actual monkey or baboon in the wild, like right there, like we see squirrels around here. Ah, he's coming right at me, you know? Throw him a banana. It's right there. All the locals are going, Pastor John, it's a monkey. Like we'd say, a it's a squirrel. Don't get excited. Oh! You know, although I still appreciate all those things, the wonder isn't there like it used to be. Um, it's just true. 
11 times. For some of us back here today and here, these truths of Jesus, who he is and what he did and does, all beginning Christmas, the things I've talked about, they don't stir up the wonder in us like they used to. So for some of us today, if you've never really grasped these truths, if you're someone who's never really understood these truths, all of them, then this is an obvious wow moment. Jesus, that's who Jesus is, and that's what he did for me? Drop your jaw in wonder. Open your eyes real wide like that kid and say, oh, it's a brand new, potentially life-changing moment, and your heart is stirred. But for many of us that have heard these truths before, some of them, maybe even all of them, Maybe you've heard it many times over the years. We've kind of lost that initial wonder. That's the unfortunate but honest truth. Christmas and the truths of Jesus for you are kind of like Africa is for me. Oh, it's nice. I mean, I, I love going and everything. But uh, it's appreciated, but it's no longer that whole moment. We've heard it so many times. We've sung the song so many times. We've put up our same traditional ornaments and decorations so many times. We still appreciate it, but we're seasoned veterans. It takes more than that to really wow us. Did I really say that? It takes more than that to wow us? Folks, there is nothing more than that. There is nothing more than that out there. And I wonder if we really hardened our hearts so much that we've, we've relegated to waiting, re relegated ourselves to waiting for some unique, new, fabulous spiritual experience to make our jaws drop and wonder. There's something else out there that'll really wow me. Jesus is like, if this ain't wowing you, I'm not sure I got anything else. In fact, I don't. This is it. And when the birth of the baby Jesus, it represents life, transforma transformation, healing, peace, reconciliation, unconditional love beyond measure, the daily possibilities of miracles, all that and more. That's what it represents. And friends, these truths of Jesus are real and they're mind-blowing and, and they, they deserve a response from us. More than a casual glance and a moderate smile. And this is the final little bit on your outline. And this is just brief. Um, but it's, it's a chance for you to choose to recapture the wonder, to recapture, to capture and recapture the wonder if you've let it slipped away. It's a chance to carry that, oh, wonder, every day through the new year of 2019. I started by saying Christmas can go on throughout the year. This is how it does. Not the Christmas decorations, but the Christmas truths of Jesus. Responding in wonder to Jesus, what might that look like? Well, first of all, your response is you could worship him with your whole, your whole heart, to worship him with your whole heart in response. Now, worship isn't just singing at church on Sunday mornings. Oh, it includes that. But it's, it's giving God your whole self as you recognize who he is. It's the, the wow response. And, you know, if you've never received the gift of Jesus that he offers, then your worship starts there. You choose to receive the gift, receive peace, forgiveness, new life, and eternal life, and you open yourself and say, God, I believe, and I want to receive that. And you ask his forgiveness, and you, you, you just accept. But if you have received that gift, respond in wonder and worship. I think it's time to fall on our knees once more as the shepherds did and as the wise men did and worship. <laughs> oh. Next response is to follow him with your whole life. It's not just an intellectual response to Jesus. It's an actual response that shows in what you say and how you ha act and all that you do. 
See, following him, that concept is active. It's not just a head belief, it's active. It's depending on him for every breath, every thought, every moment. And the third response is to reflect him to the whole world. To reflect him to the whole world. As we capture and understand this, oh, of Jesus Others deserve to know that Christmas is that. That it isn't just a few weeks of celebration, decorations, all that. Your wonder at Jesus can reveal his wonder to a world that needs him so badly. To help us in our response today, we're, we're going to ask uh, the band to teach us a new song about the wonder of Jesus. Um, and as we sing this song, I guess I'd ask that, see if you can begin to recapture, take that next step in recapturing the awe and the majesty of the baby Jesus the advent, the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God himself with us, the one who loves you more than you can understand.
there's no one like you. None beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder. Lord, I want to worship you. I want to respond. I want to be that kid that that eyes, their eyes get big and their mouth goes round. And I don't care if someone next to me goes, oh, you're being like a kid. You're being so childish. Because I know the object of the one that I'm looking at. I know who he is. He's got himself in the form of man. He's the head of the church. And I know what he's done and what he did. He created all things and he sustains all things. And he changed me and he brought peace and reconciliation. And he turned evil and impure and unholy me and made me blameless before him as I received his gift. I want to respond in worship. I want to respond by following you, Jesus, with my life. And I want to reflect that to those around me. Some of that, some of that wonder. Lord God, we, we, we kneel before you today, right now. Maybe actually physically doing it, God. Maybe in our hearts we do it, God. It's a choice. It's a response. <laughs> because of who you are. We want to respond in wonder, Lord Jesus. Help us regain that, recapture that sense, Lord. For anybody here today who's never kneeled, Lord, may they kneel now, God. And you invite Jesus into your heart by asking his forgiveness, putting your faith and trust in him, and asking him to lead your life, to do all these things for you that he's promised to do. Lord God, we receive your love and we give you our love as best we can. In Jesus' name, amen.